but in psychology or in innovation or ideas, it's it's not so. Um, it's, it's, we don't sort of magnitude match. We don't need to magnitude match to the same extent. Small solutions can create large outcomes. So big sort of problems don't necessarily always need big ideas. I'm Johnny Prest, and this is the Brand Master Flash Podcast. Your brand is your community. It's their instinctive connectedness with you in their hearts and minds. This podcast explores how to define and deliver a brand strategy that is true to who you really are. It will inspire your team, connect you with your customers, and make a positive difference. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Brand Master Flash podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I always appreciate the support. If you do want to subscribe to my channels, you can do that on any platform where you hear this podcast. I would love it if you could do that. And if you do know anyone that is interested in creativity or design or brand or brand building, then please feel free to share this episode with them. So it has been a little while since I've done anything. Christmas, New Year, it was a crazy time. Got three little kids. So as you can imagine, they are absolutely crazy for Santa Claus. I've had an amazing time, but it is full on, but it's beautiful. But it's now 2023 which sounds really odd because 2023 sounds so futuristic i can't believe that we're here but i'm excited it's the start of a new year the end of 2022 was brilliant my agency seed are now really really trucking along now we're working on some amazing people and planet projects we're doing some really cool work and 2023 seems to be more of the same. So it's exciting. But I have a really cool conversation for you today. This was recorded at the back end, the back end of last year. So if you're a creative, if you're a designer, or even if you're a marketeer or someone who's interested in brand, we often look to human behavior or behavioral science, art, and engineering for answers to our problems. So if we're a designer or an artist and we've got a, a kind of design problem or we're looking for a solution, we often look at those areas. But interestingly, some of the best design solutions can be found within our natural world, within nature, within animals. And harnessing evolved biology is something that we call biomimicry and it can be seen in so many different things that we see within the world within transport within engineering and manufacturing so i recently read a book by an author sam tatum and he's written a book called evolutionary ideas and just one example in this book he talks about the Japanese bullet train. So if you know the Japanese bullet train, it's got a really cool, slick design. It's got this really interesting like nose in the front of the, of the, um, the train. That actually came from the Kingfisher. So the design of that nose came from uh, the, the aerodynamics of the beak of a Kingfisher, because it was to do with the noise that was created when a kingfisher, sorry, when a, when a train went through a tunnel and it was really, really loud. So they had to find a way of reducing that noise. And they looked at the designer, looked at the natural world. He was interested and a keen observer of birds. And they used the design of the beak of a kingfisher to reduce that sound. There was also a lot of noise coming from the train as a whole. And they were, this was coming from the plates at the top of the train, which connected with the electric, um, the electrification of the train. 
and they look to an owl and the owl's wings, the serrated kind of almost feathers on the edge of the wing. And they use that design on the plate that touched the electrification and they were able to reduce the sound again of the train. Again, it's all about biomimicry. It's super interesting. So I was fortunate to catch up with Sam at the end of last year. Uh, he is the head of behavioral science at Ogilvy and his passion for understanding human behavior and its experience comes from organizational, organizational and industrial psychology and advertising strategy. But he's really gone into depth within this book to talk about the natural world and how it can influence our, our world in terms of the things that we use, the things that we travel in, all different types of design. And it was a super, super interesting book and he's a super interesting guy. So here's the interview with Sam Tatum, the author of Evolutionary Ideas. Enjoy. Sam, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Good, John. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Brilliant. Look, I, I, I'm going to just start with the book, actually, because I really love this book and, and a great success on the book. But I kind of like Thank to you. know how this book started because it's it's yes. well researched. There's some incredible references and studies of how nature has influenced design. And I'd kind of like, like to know where this kind of happened for you. Where did this kind of connection start? Great, great question. Well, th- I mean, I'm so thrilled you enjoyed it. So, so thank you. Um, well, I think the trigger, the trigger for the book really was discovering the field of biomimicry. Uh, an old colleague sent me a video, um, and the video was um, exploring the development of the Shinkansen 500. So, I write about this in the book, uh, the Japanese speed train that was inspired by the the, the, the build of the Kingfisher. Um, the, 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 the serrated feathers of an owl um, that all helped the, the Shinkansen 500 to address sort of noise challenges as it sped across the, 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 the line. Um, and when I watched this, this film, um, it struck me that actually what the field of biomimicry is doing with technology and engineering and design was fundamentally what I'd been doing in my career from a psychological perspective. Um, and a lot of um, my my background. So for for, for those um, who I've not come across uh, of our listeners, that I, I work with in Ogilvy, and uh, Rory Sutherland is the the founder of the practice at Ogilvy. So I'm heavily influenced by by Rory and a lot of his work. And and Rory is a historian, I think, in his in his background, and he has a way of sort of digging up relics of of, of past innovation and making sense of them um, for for today. And and when I when I saw biomimicry as a film, I thought, well, this is fundamentally what we do for for psychology, actually there's a way in which we can mechanize this, create a more systematic approach to solving psychological problems. And that sort of then told me I had a, I had a book and hopefully shining a slightly different light on, on, on our field. Uh, was this a passion for Rory as well? Was this something that, because I've got the feeling that to, to be a designer or to be a, someone that works in communications that understands the relationship between nature and design and looking at biomimicry yes. you must have yes. to have a passion for nature and understand yes. nature to see the correlation between the two i don't know if that's something that rory's interested in rory absolutely i mean rory will write from a brand perspective of sort of loyalty with with feeder fish and 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 enabling sort of larger larger fish to succeed so so, so some of rory's writings do explore that the natural world i think what this hopes to bring in addition to that is looking at evolutionary processes that exist in the natural world and we don't sort of spend too much time there to be honest we just use sort of the analogy of biomimicry to to then take us forward into into what that looks from a psychological perspective but i think certainly um i'm i'm fascinated by 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 nature and increasingly fascinated by biomimicry since i realized that it was a, a, a field um so so i suppose that helps you know, point, pointing it out in your book has really made me think about design much more when thinking about the relationship between design and nature. I've recently watched um, a program and I can't remember the, the lady's name. She's from Israel. It's on the Netflix series called Abstract. 
and she works at MIT. And I know a lot of work that's happening at MIT through multiple disciplines is bioengineering and looking at the way that we build and make things, but looking more at the natural world to look at other materials, natural materials, how things grow in the natural world, and then using that knowledge to create things and and mainly within buildings, actual spaces that we live in and looking at materials. You know, we know that the production of concrete and steel isn't great for the environment. So now people are looking at alternative materials, but they're looking at they're looking at nature as a way of of um, creating these materials. Is there anything that in your line of work that you're seeing in terms of materials potentially where we're looking at nature and creating things in a new way? Not not materials, and that's I suppose where a classic biomimic approach would would, would come in. I, I suspect so. I've, I feel like I've used the term biomimicry about seventeen times already. I've not really sort of explained the the fundamental principles of 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 it, but as essentially the philosophy uh, for for those of us who aren't familiar with with biomimicry. The philosophy is that anything that sort of surrounds us in nature today has survived 3.8 billion years of, of research and development. There's got to be something good <laughs> that's enabled it to survive and succeed um, to this day. Um, so rather than starting from scratch when it comes to solving problems like creating um, strong materials without relying on on steel, there might be ways in which we can look at um, uh, uh, again, this is out of my field. We're moving into into an engineering, looking at cross bracketing inspired by the, the the web of a spider, for example. I mean, that's the that's the mindset of a biomimic engineer. Um, but we're looking at the blood flow in the hair of in the ears of hairs, for example, to, to create um, air cooling systems. Um, looking at the tubercles, the bumps on whales' fins of humpback whales to create energy-efficient wind turbines. So it's really about seeing successes in nature and adapting it for today's problems. So when it comes to, uh, I mean, if you look at things like Velcro is a classic example of, of, of biomimicry, inspired by spurs uh, on, on, on dogs <laughs> under the microscope that, that launched the, the, the Velcro as a, as a, as a piece of, of, of tech. So... So I can't speak with authority as into textile design and and sort of current the sort of the, the the forefront of engineering technology, but what I love about biomimicry is is this philosophy that if it exists, there's much more that we can do with it than, than maybe what meets the eye, and if we understand the principles of what problem that um, evolved solution was overcoming. Right. For the for the humpback whale, it was to in, increase lift and reduce drag to make it more efficient in the water. We need to increase lift and reduce drag to get the most out of a wind turbine. So we should we should borrow from that because it's gone through the evolutionary process. And we're seeing in in technology, we're seeing um, uh, sort of evolutionary programmatic design that's just throwing thousands and millions of, of 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 different solutions into 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 codes to surface what might be the the ultimate mix. And sometimes it's it it sort of goes beyond goes beyond what we might imagine ourselves. I mean, the classic example of I mean, who would have sat down to design the platypus or the kangaroo? It just sort of doesn't really doesn't really happen. But evolutionary forces and the constraints of a particular environment um, and enable these solutions to emerge you've got a a brilliant example in the book about social proof and you were talking about certain tribes how they would go through the the jungle and they would move branches and and kind of put um warp the way that a tree was growing so they could look back and know which way to go and 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 mark out journeys and relating that to how we kind of surf around the internet and things that we look at and things that we like and things that we share and the social proof in way, that way that works. That was fascinating. That's what I would think. Well, so so the, the, the big step then is to go from, uh, so we've talked about the humpback um, sort of tubercles to address lift and drag um, to, to words that sort of live in the realm of physics, say, and, and certainly in engin- engineering. But for us, when we start to look at problems that we need to solve from a, a psychological perspective, um, this is so the, the example that you bring up of, of marker trees is in a, chapter that I reference social proof so which and social proof helps us to reinforce trust so rather than looking at lift and drag or speed or weight we can look at 
trust, we can look at aiding decision-making, we can look at uh, enabling choice. Um, and, and you're exactly right. Once we know that actually this is a solution that is a social, is an example of social proof, then we can see how that manifests itself slightly differently today. So rather than bending a sapling to um, show other, other tribes safe passage or to mark ritualistic sites or good hunting fields, now we have testimonials and five-star reviews on Amazon. It's just it's a, it's a similar sort of evidence of prior behavior or social proof um, just into, in today's world. And what's really important, I think, and what, what, I, what I hope to explore in the book is that the subtle differences between these evolved solutions because of the specific environment in which they've worked help us to be more creative when it comes to solving our own problems. Because each execution, say a marketry versus a, an Amazon five-star rating is slightly different and helps us to ask a slightly different question of the, of the challenge that we're looking to solve. Amazing. <clears throat> With um, some evolu evolutionary ideas, in some ways it, it kind of reminds me of unlearning because some of the things that we're we're looking at nature and looking at ways that we can modify designs solve problems actually have been in the human race for many many years we've like we but we've kind of forgotten how to to do certain things and we're kind of going back to these certain ideas and methods and systems and processes so I'm kind of like, it's interesting to look at like simple ancestral ways of solving problems, but then it's kind of like the combination of using advanced technical knowledge. But mm. I love the idea of unlearning and kind of going back to old forms and old ways of doing things, but, the com but then combining it with modern day technology. I, I think there's certainly an element of that. And if you look at um, many different skills that we've lost throughout time, um, that the Romans were far superior at building aqueducts, for example, that we, we could do even with modern technology. So there are things that we just lose um, through absence of a, of, of, a, of a need to manufacture or, or breakdown in knowledge transfer. I think, um, so I think that's certainly very interesting to, to go down to sort of first principles and, and ancient solutions and, and see how we might execute them today. I, I think one of the, the more significant challenges that we face isn't necessarily sort of unlearning um, or that we've sort of forgotten something or we've, it's, 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 it's actually that we actively look beyond the answers that are staring us in the face. <laughs> so it's like, we, it's almost too, it's too simple or it's, it's um, and, I, and I write sort of why this might be the case. I mean, one element is, is sort of our ego. Someone says, well, why don't you just do what Domino's did? It's like, why can't I just do what Domino's did? Why am I a chief marketing officer if I'm just going to replicate um, what, what, an, what another business has done? So there's a degree of, of ego and status that sort of helps us to shoot for these moonshots, these revolutionary big ideas that we're, that we're searching for. There's an inbuilt optimism that we all share. The same sort of optimism bias that um, that that. that means that often we don't go for a health checkup as much as we probably should. We think sort of this time will be different or I'm sort of immune to that or I, I won't wear my seatbelt or I, I'll, I'll wear my helmet, but I just won't do the straps you know, because it'll be all, it'll be all right. And, and we share the same optimism when it comes to, to ideas, I think, as well. It's sort of this time it will be different. Whether others failed to crack this novel solution will succeed. And the last, I, I think the last um, sort of lever there as to why we sort of, tend to look beyond what might be staring us in the face. So it's sort of, it's a bit of unlearning, but it's more sort of appreciating what we have right in front of us um, is, uh, is related to our sense of proportionality. Uh, we have a, a sort of an inbuilt proportionality bias and it makes sense in the physical world. If we bang a pot um, very hard, we expect it to produce a loud, a loud noise, right? That sort of makes sense, that proportionality works. In the physical realm, it, it, it does. But in psychology or in innovation or ideas, it's, it's not so, um, it's, it's, we don't sort of magnitude match, we don't need to magnitude match to the same extent. Small solutions can create large outcomes. So big sort of problems don't necessarily always need big ideas. And where I sort of spend most of the time in the book, um, which is really around novel solutions, for, for novel, uh, novel problems. Um, whereas actually what might seem novel to you, um, someone else is solving it every day just in another industry or category. 
Um, so your your solution is there. You don't necessarily you don't necessarily need to create something new. Your solution exists. It just might not be within your field. And if you can transpose, like they're doing biomimicry, connect a whale with a wind turbine or the hair of a jackrabbit with an air cooling system, you can connect a, a market tree with a with a with a checkout page for Sainsbury's or Woolworths. Then you can you can make that leap, and that's what we're needing to. And that helps us to not only be more creative, I think, with the, the final execution, it gives us a bit of a roadmap that helps us to start with the ideas that are already there. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. Amazing. Well, Sam, I hope you've drunk your coffee this evening, because um, speaking of big challenges with simple ideas, um, I'm going to kind of in a bit, oh, you're drinking now, good. I'm going to sort of go over <laughs> some of the world's planet's biggest challenges, not just now, I'm going to let you get warmed up first. Oh, here we go and see if we can look at these challenges and see if there's anything that's happened in the past that we can look at that maybe that that's right in front of our eyes right now and that we that we can adopt these kind of ideas or ways of working and change behavior and it's great in your answers that you always navigate and anchor back to behavior in terms of innovation in terms of problems in terms of looking at biomimicry, but you always go back to human behavior. And I can see that's a, a passion of yours and that you, you know, you were a, a student of this and you're always learning about behavior. Just to go that's back true. over a couple of things, within design, for going back for hundreds of years, we've always looked the, re the relationship between design, science and art. You only have to look at da Vinci to see that he mm -hmm. was an artist and an inventor and he looked at science but what I really love about your work is this relationship between design and science but then going back to nature looking at nature and then you can put art if you look at it as a Venn diagram if you're looking at design and nature and art and science then actually when those four come together we can be you know we can solve some of these biggest challenges and actually yeah. as a fifth fifth area is behavior putting behavior in that and under, understanding how it all comes together and looking at certain designs going back hundred or a few hundred years or just looking at the wright brothers you know, why was it that the wright brothers were able to invent the first flying machine why was that and it was probably because they were closer to understanding how a bird fun functions and flies it may well have been one one view is that uh, I mean, history forgets the people that come second. Um, so Matt Ridley, um, who wrote um, how um, how innovation works and the evolution of everything, um, who's a, a, again I referenced quite heavily in the front in the book, um, sort of speaks to actually how many different scientists inventors can converge on winning solutions i mean i think there were 28 people had sort of independently come up with the incandescent uh, light bulb um at a similar time to thomas edison so it wasn't just he was streaks away from everyone else actually we're independently finding stumbling across these solutions so when it comes to the wright brothers one could be yes um uh, 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 and I don't know in detail the, 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 the story of their innovation, but it could be, yes, that they were closer to understanding bird and flight and that was the edge. Or we might find that actually there were hundreds of people that were that were so close and the Wright brothers just cut the length of the wing slightly longer and that's what did it. I mean, it was what we, sort of a, a genetic, a mutation in their design that enabled them to be successful where, where others failed. Um, and they might not have been worlds apart from, from from everyone else. And that's where I think an evolutionary mindset is, is kind of interesting. It's not this radical standalone innovation like the Wright brothers. And actually the conversation that we're talking about is, is part of the, almost part of the problem. That we remember Edison, the Wright brothers. We don't remember everyone who was so close but had a slightly different variant that didn't succeed. Um, history sort of forgets the, the those that those that come second. Um, so yes, it, it could be either it could be either of those things. Okay, amazing. Okay, I've got some quick fire questions for you. Um, again, they're they're never normally quick, and they normally give the longest answer. But they, <laughs> but, they, but they do give the best answers. A question that I ask everyone: What's the most important thing that you've learned in the past twelve months? Ooh, life is short. Okay. Do you want to expand on that? No, I th um, 
I mean, it's a, this is a quick fire. This is a quick fire, um, a quick fire round. No, I think. I mean, I've had. I've had some health challenges over the, over, the, over the last 12 months. So that's been sort of a focus for my 12 months. So that's, um, that's, that's my, that's to, to take us on a different, uh, on a different road. Um, but yeah, that's certainly the key learning for me over the last 12, uh, the last 12 months. Amazing. And who guides you? Who guides me? Um, that's a good question. It sort of it really depends on what we're, what I'm what I'm doing. I think I'm very. Uh, I hope I'm answering these questions in the right way. I feel like I'm getting very very. There's very no deep right or wrong now, way, honestly. Whatever. No, but can. I think in certain areas I'm, I'm heavily um, guided by my 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 parents. I think, um, but I seek I seek um, a lot of it. I mean, I'm I'm forever seeking advice. I'm sort of very quite malleable. Hopefully, quite malleable in that. So my my partner Michelle guides me i think my 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 team in the uk very very much um from from a professional perspective um but yeah i do value i think sometimes i can be very caught in my own head so you don't really know what's up or down you get lost in lost in thought and 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 actually it, uh, it's very helpful to bounce off people that you trust um, to help to tell you when you're crazy or when you think you think you're crazy, but you're actually not. That's true. And you and um, you hear that it takes a tribe to raise a child. And I think in our all our lives, there's multiple people that we listen to. There's most a lot of there's multiple people that we trust. There's like people yeah. that we inspire us and and kind of inspire us in our work and at home. So. Yeah, there's no right or wrong answer in that, and it is a difficult question to answer. Actually, the guide. It is well, there's because there's there, there's a few there's a handful of people that um, certainly in my career, and I and I and I acknowledge them at the end of the book. I mean, the gentleman I was speaking to recently first hired me into advertising, an amazing um, German. Um, I don't know why it needs to be German, but he's just so German. So I just think German German planner strategist, and so I often still ask. What would his name's Jerry Siron? What would what would Jerry do? I mean, I've, I've just sort of uh, often asked, what would Jerry do? Another other old boss and mentor, Mark Sarif, just a really sage, intuitive psychologist, super creative and strategic thinker, um, that really opened the doors for me into into this world um, to let me walk through it. Then then you have people like like Rory that I've been so fortunate to, to work with and, um, and and look up to for, for, for many years. Um, that's been a big influence, obviously, on the, on the book, but certainly how I, how I practice um, from a professional sense. Amazing. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do give one more. The best thing you've ever created. The best thing I've ever, this is where I, it's, I mean, the best thing I've ever created is my, uh, my children. Um, uh, the, the second best, I have two children, so it'll have to be the third best thing that I've created. Um, well, I, I, you won't expect this one. I've, 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 I'm most proud of recently, I've dug a, a big fire pit <laughs> and, and, and been to the sandstone quarry and, and, and lugged sandstone to make this lovely sort of fire pit. So I'm, I'm, I'm fairly proud of that. Um, but then there's wonderful, wonderful work um, that we uh, that we did uh, for for many years with the in partnership with the Gates Foundation. Um, if I go from fire pit to sort of professional real realm, um, where we're working with um, what might be known as sort of bottom of the pyramid communities um, to help in increase the consumption of fortified products, so frozen yogurt in Nigeria, for for example. Um, so that's probably the most meaningful work that I've been fortunate to to do to be on the on the ground in in Lagos to walk through markets with different packaging designs and brand names and different cues to see how we might encourage a more frequent trusted use of this product I think that's that's certainly work I'm very proud of amazing just from your answers just from those simple answers that does tell me a lot about you the fact that obviously family is important the fact that you know one of the things that you love is your fire pit it's kind of like you're, <laughs> you're quite close to sort of 
ancestral living you know like that your family is important a fire pit and then also your the, the most important piece of work was something that was meaningful to you that mm. helped people it was in another country where they needed support you used brand and product to actually make a meaningful difference and just behind you over your right soldier uh, shoulder you've got a picture of the sea and i can just mm. tell that and and because of the content of your book that is is nature and our connection to nature and people is that something that's important in your in your lives i think certainly is i think if i was to be another um if i was to have a different career i think it would be a farmer um, I, um so and i said it's funny right we, when we first met up for for the gates program it was a wonderful program over several years we asked that that same question that i and i've been consistent <laughs> if i wasn't in in advertising and and, and working in, in behavioral science i i would i would love to be a love to be a farmer um but yeah no so i think i think it absolutely is i think being a being around the the what what's real um i've been fortunate over the last little while to spend a bit more time i'm in australia at the moment as we as we speak spend a bit more time uh, in the in the in the bush um i've got two girls that were born in born in london one that's a bit older um amazing to 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 show and 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 to teach her australian bird life and things like that i mean it's just wild and stuff that when you're young it's like so boring but i'm sort of getting <laughs> i'm getting into it um but yeah no so maybe maybe you're right and 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 i think i've always i've, I've always um had a fascination with evolution and the animal kingdom. I remember sort of starting uni and just going off and buying the origin of species. I probably probably read about 10 pages and put it on the bookshelf more as a signal as to what I want to do rather than what I actually will understand. Um, but I but I think you're right there. Yeah, well, it's, I think you're looking at the books from say Darwin and other, and other great authors that have written about nature all the way up to current day writers that are writing about nature. Um, I think there's so much to learn there. And I, I agree with you, as older I've got, I feel like I have a deeper connection with nature as I've got older. I went back mm. to my parents a few weeks ago and I went out for a couple of runs and I was running around fields and countryside that I, I, was, I lived there my whole life and I never saw, never felt this connection with. And it's definitely something I wanna do with my children now to give them, to, to try and open the door to nature and animals and wildlife mm. and wild mm. spaces much more. Cause I think, you can learn so much for it, as we know in in your book. Yeah. Um. You, it's. I want you mentioned about behaviour, and I think this is a good point to go back to insight and behaviour. And there's some really great things that you talk about in the book. One of them was invented principles, and the other one is trees. And for the mm -hmm. listeners, it would be nice to kind of explain what invented principles and trees is, so they can look at it as a yeah. problem solving tool. Of course, no. So, so the stepping stones for evolutionary is first is we, we start with with nature and, and the field of biomimicry, and and the outcome of that is that we can borrow from the infinite wisdom of of evolution to apply to distinctively human problems. So, to to speak to what we have, we can borrow from a humpback whale to create a, an energy efficient wind turbine. But when we look at trees, which is a, um, a, a Russian, a, an old Russian um, methodology, it stands for the um, theory of, um, geez, how have I forgotten that theory of, of creative problem solving? Um, uh, it's a Russian acronym. Um, and, and what trees does is look at patterns of technical solutions. So, so the, the author of, of trees, a, a, a gentleman called Genrik Outschuler, um, was a young inventor um, snapped up by the Russian Navy um, and in the Navy he was put in the patent office and he saw patent after patent every day and realized over time it's like actually most of these are solving problems that we've already solved or most of these are fundamentally the same solution just in a slightly different variant. So what he did and some colleagues was look at 200,000 patents and the first thing they did was classify them into levels of inventiveness so sort of what's sort of actual innovation and inventiveness or what's just a, a different manifestation of an existing idea. And they found between sort of one and 5% of the patents that they reviewed was actually innovation. Most are just adjustments to existing solutions. But by, by doing this, they were able to find these patterns of solutions. So if we think of it again, like the animal kingdom, we have um, 
we look at species, right, based on their features. So if they have a warm blood or breathe through gills or the presence of a spinal cord, or that helps us to differentiate species. In TRIZ, they do this via technical features. Um, and these technical features, these patterns, um, they, they sort of summarize as inventive principles. So for example, one inventive principle I think it's there's 40 inventive principles in trees. Number seven is the concept of nested doll. So if you think of the sort of this species of technical solution is nested doll. If you imagine the classic Russian doll, um, and and we look at this, for example, in a, a telescopic lens of a camera. That's a that's a nested doll. If we look at a nail polish that that has its brush that lives inside the bottle, that's also an example of a of a nested doll. A tape measure, a retractable tape measure. Um, is an example of a nested doll. So there's three different categories, slightly different mechanisms, but they're all sit under, under nested doll. So there are 40 of these principles um, that, that they have in TRIZ. But, but where, it gets, where it gets interesting, I think more interesting, is that they've created a TRIZ matrix. So they look at these 40, 40 inventive principles like nested doll, like segmentation, turning curtains into Venetian blinds, turning a, a, a long couch into a modular sofa. That's an example of segmentation. They look at these 40 different inventive principles and look at them to see how they solve specific, um, specific challenges. So for example, increasing speed uh, or reducing the weight or um, reducing the size of something. And then they create sort of contradictions. So for example, how can I make this stronger without making it heavier? Right? How do I make a bulletproof jacket strong enough to stop a bullet, but light enough to wear? Or how do I make a, an umbrella big enough to cover the human body, but small enough to put in a handbag? That's, that's what they call in TRIZ a sort of a, a, a technical contradiction. And in the matrix, you see, okay, if you want to increase the, the, the size or the volume of an object without increasing its size, then you look at the matrix and go, let's look at inventive principle number seven, nested doll. And you say, well, before you do anything, start with a nested doll solution. So that's, that's TRIZ in a bit of a, a, a summary. And what's interesting for, for, for my book, I think from TRIZ then is we can do this with psychological contradictions. So we've learned from biomimicry that we can borrow from nature, we can steal from a humpback whale to create a wind turbine. We've learned from TRIZ that there can be a systematic way of viewing patterns of solutions to solve a collection of problems, these contradictions, increasing size without increasing weight, for example. What does this look like in psychology? So in the book, I explore five different psychological contradictions. So looking at how do you increase trust without changing the truth? That's, you can't, that's not an engineering problem, it's a psychological problem. How do you uh, aid decision-making without limiting choice? How do you trigger action without forcing a response? How do you boost loyalty without increasing incentives? How do you sort of boost experience without changing duration? And with each of those challenges, we look at the inventive principles from psychology. So not technology like Nestor doll, we look at psychology. So we spoke before about social proof. Um, that the principle of social proof that we saw in the marketries in uh, indigenous uh, um, Indian uh, American um, communities through to Amazon testimonials and, and five-star buttons, that's the inventive principle of, of social proof. And we can use that to help reinforce trust. So that's how it sort of comes together. So we can start to look at these five psychological contradictions and view a world of inventive principles and a rich array of evolved solutions that we can borrow from to bring those to our to our innovation. So you, the question was about TRIZ and I sort of gave you the summation of the whole book, but it's important to sort of see how they stack together. And I, I, well, I, I find it important to see how they build. I completely, and I agree. And, and what's fascinating with this is the, is the patterns that you can use to use problem, for problem solving through TRIZ or through inventive yeah. principles. Because yes. we, we mentioned Rory Southern earlier in his book, Alchemy, and that yes. problem solving can also be chemistry and magic in some ways, that there's things, yeah. unpredicted ways that we problem solve. But it's really amazing and reassuring to know that actually there is some quite formulaic ways using patterns to solve problems. And it's actually the psychological area that I'd love to jump on there um, and evolved psychological solutions. 
So if we were to look at, I, I mentioned I um, found two that were quite important. I thought the one the way we removed our waste from London through the Dark Ages, and the reason why there was the Black Death was because we were throwing our human waste outside the front of our property or where we wherever we were, and then it was being taken away in the middle of the night and going to use on the fields by the is it the soilsmen? I can't remember something like the soilsmen. I think their name were. But as London grew and grew and grew and grew, we just physically couldn't get the waste out of the uh, the city of London. And obviously rats came around, rats brought disease and then disease brought the Black Death. So we had to change the way that people thought about the way that we thought of our waste. And, and that happened. And the other one was the way that we wash our hands in hospitals. I don't know if this is quite psychological solutions, but we had to change the way that people thought about hygiene and mm. There was the the death rate in um, or mortality rates in childbirth was so high, and it's because we weren't washing our hands. So mm. I I think what the reason what, what I'm trying to get to here is that I'm really interested in looking at behavioural change and the ways yes. that we can look at behavioural change to try and fix some of the biggest challenges. I don't know if you want to expand on that. No, so absolutely. So let's look at the, the, the latter challenge, for example. So it's looking at hand washing behavior. And you can break, you can, there's many different specific behavioral models that you could explore, um, whether it's uh, looking at combi, so, so capability, opportunity, motivation. So to, uh, are nurses and doctors motivated? Do they have the opportunity and facilities? Do they, are they capable of it? Do they have hands and fingers? Do they have the knowledge of, of how to wash? That's one way of looking at it. You could also explore, for, for example, you could diagnose the challenge um, and it sort of all at some stage fits under combi, but it could just be around saliency. People people don't feel like, the, people feel like the hands are already clean. <laughs> so, so that's maybe a motivation. I'm not motivated because I feel that they're already clean. Um, and and we've addressed a similar challenge in um, uh, in, in factories in in South America, um, in in um, food, food food factories, um, where um, had sort of contamination is a challenge, and, and hand washing is a is a is a obviously critical for health and and brand health. Um, and what we did there was create a, a really simple solution. Um, people wash their hands for two seconds, and their hands look like they did when they came in, but they're not. They're not clean. They're not germ-free, but you can't see it. Uh, so we created a, a hand stamp um, that you stick on the back of you stamp on someone's hand, and they just have to wash it off. Right. So you gave some really evident, salient thing to clean off, and we had a significant reduction in contaminated hands. Um, you look at uh, another example that I write in the book, and it could just be about. Um, it's not about sort of the, the visibility of germs. It's just about the opportunity by which to stop and wash your hands. Uh, as an example of a, of a default in the book, um, a, a, a business in, the, in America have created doors for hospitals that have soap dispensers inbuilt. So if you open a door, it produces soap. So every time you go into a different part of the hospital, you just happen to clean your hands. So you sort of bundle that, bundle that action, that behavior into, into something that people were defaulted to do anyway. So, so what we get interested in, I think, is like starting to talk about well, what's, what's preventing um, this hygiene behavior? What facet of capability, opportunity, motivation, or something more, more specific? And then for us, what's the inventive principle that we can bring to that party um so there's a salient feedback problem we just we don't know that our hands are uh, 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 uh germed okay we've got a hand stamp as one solution tontine pillows in australia put date stamps on pillows to remind people to change their pillows because you just never know how old your pillow is um, and over time they build up with bacteria and all sorts of mites and grubs but you just don't know so you created a, a date stamp on a pillow. You can borrow from that pillow and bring it into a context for hand hygiene behavior if you know the problem that we're solving. So I think that's that's a little bit about how we would sort of could go about this. I love it. Was it in the book that you mentioned about? I don't know if I can't remember if I've heard this somewhere else or was in the book, but about young children using chalks that stare at that clean the hand. That's right. So this is an example of a of a piece of work from Ogilvy in, in Mumbai. Um, and both, funnily enough, actually the 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 the, um, the pool clean is the is the name of the innovation from the US that that defaults hand hygiene into opening doors. Um, for for Mumbai in partnership with um, with Savlon, 
Um, so this is Ogilvy in, in Mumbai. Um, we developed chalk sticks. So many of the children in schools um, in, in these parts of India are, are using chalkboards to, to, to write. How do you ensure that when they wash their hands for lunch, where they primarily eat with their fingers, how do you ensure that they're as clean as they possibly can be? Um, so what we did was we, we embedded soap granules into sticks of chalk. So as they got chalk on their fingers, they also got soap on their fingers. So when they washed their hands, they already were ready to lather up. So it's a good example of you're actually not asking the children to change anything. <laughs> you're just changing the outcome. So I so use it as a, an example of a, of a default. And we often think of default. So the inventive principle is the term default. We often think of defaults in sort of opt-in or opt-out check out buttons on an email subscription, you rarely think of it as sort of soap granules embedded into an opt-out hand-washing behavior for, for chalk. But if you understand that it's fundamentally the same principle, as I said, then, then you can sort of in, enrich the solutions that are available. So that's that's certainly absolutely an example from the book. I, I love these ideas and I love these, these inventions because it with the work Ogilvy, it goes beyond communications, marketing, brand. These are just incredible, inventive things that are changing people's lives. And it's it goes in just to creativity, innovation. It, it's a, it's a, and, I, and those are the things that really inspire me. Now, just to, as we move towards the end of this conversation, I'm going, I'm coming to the big crescendo now. All so, right, all right, all right. I'm nervous. <laughs> In, in, in my work, so my I have two huge passions in my life. So creativity and design and brand is is an area that I'm, I've been doing now for coming on to 20 years. And I love it. I love identity. I also really care about the planet. So I hate waste and I hate pollution. And over the last few years, I've been trying to find my flow and my icky guy in terms of how can I help organizations to develop their identity, but at the same time, move things forward and try and help towards decarbonization, protection of the planet and its people. So that's the kind of work that I'm in there. And you would have seen that a lot of the questions are anchored towards sustainability, mm -hmm. circular economy, et cetera. So if we were to, in, in the book, the, the description of the book or the subtitle is unlocking, unlocking Ancient Innovation to Solve Tomorrow's Challenges. And I've highlighted two big challenges here. So you've got 15 minutes to solve the biggest what problems in the world here, Sam. So I hope you're on. <laughs> so the, the, two, the two biggest things I think we've got at the moment is the deconstruction of our ecosystem. So that's deforestation, loss of biodiversity, mm -hmm. et cetera. And the second one is, is the heating of the planet. And I know they're related, but the heating of the planet by overconsumption of fossil fuels and the production of harmful waste. Now, we mentioned about waste earlier in terms of pretty much every single animal in, in on the planet uses their waste in terms of it has a function as a byproduct it has a function whether it to be move around seeds or use as fertilizer or, mm -hmm. or whatever so i'm kind of looking at this now thinking is there any ancient innovations or nature that we can look at to help us with those problems as the deconstruction of our ecosystem so biodiversity and fossil fuels well you've already named one which is i think is fascinating was the wind turbines that used the whales what the bumps mm. on their fins is that correct the but is there anything else that you've seen in in your work that we can use even from from a behavior behavior or psychological standpoint that we can start to look at our planet and just become more sustainable is there anything that you can that you've seen or that you've worked with i think there's a, a few examples and i think as we as we go into solving um having having a tap dance to solving some of the world's biggest challenges i think it's also important to recognize the role of legislation and, and policy and and so much more than um than than what could be nudges or, or, or ways of framing language or so I just sort of I think it's important that we recognize that there's a, many different ways in which we can we need to we, we need to come at this from all angles if you um, talk about um, biodiversity again funnily enough in the same really in the same space that I, I, I write about the pool clean and chalk sticks um, two examples of, of default behavior um, the third example um, in, on, on, in, in that chapter is, is actually looking at water consumption um, in Brazil. 
um, uh, an area of um, uh, the, the Atlantic rainforest. I think it's diminishing year by year at extraordinary rates. And one of the challenges um, is around water conservation in the area. Um, and we'd be amazed to, to know actually how much water it takes to flush a toilet. Um, thousands of liters um, that are used just, just flushing toilets. Um, so it's a really simple, again, if we remember chalk sticks that we spoke about a little while ago and the, 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 the creativity and the inventiveness behind the solution um, was that actually we can change the outcome without asking much more of people. I mean, we didn't ask the children to go to soap. We just asked them to wash their hands as they were. We changed the sticks, right? Um, for, for this particular campaign in Brazil, um, um, the community was asked to pee in the shower. Um, and again, <laughs> most surveys um, re report that it, people, are, people, people are often doing it anyway. But if you can encourage people to pee in their morning shower, then they're less likely to use the bathroom and flush the toilets. And the, the, the team found you could save thousands of litres um, by, by, by peeing in the shower. So again, a, a, small, a, a small way of thinking about how we address something like water conservation for, for our biodiversity challenge. Um, when we look at... Um, problems like these, like the use of fossil fuels, we, we, I think in, I find it helpful and I certainly think if we were to address this challenge, what facet of it is it looking at electric vehicles, say? So if we're looking at fossil fuels as the problem, then what we need to do is increase the uptake of electric vehicles. Or um, so, so that becomes the, the, the means to the end. Then we look at, okay, how do we increase the uptake of electric vehicles? What are, what are, what are the concerns? And so it might just be about trust, Right, trust as being a concern. Can I get from A to B? Um, am I going to get caught short? Um, there, there might be sort of just a, 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 a. I need to sell my old car to get it. Like they're just people out of out of out of order when it looks to sort of shift into EV. It's like I've still got ten good years of my diesel left. Why would I? Why would I transfer? So you can sort of start to unpick what's this? What's this challenge? I remember many years ago, and I still think this is a a, a good solution to start shifting people across, um, particularly for, for, for families. And again, re removing some of the, the fear of being caught short um, is, is to just to encourage people um, that every second car within a family is electric. Um, and I know we, we should probably should be encouraging people to move to buses and bikes rather than sort of encouraging two, two car old families. Um, but many families do have two cars and many families still have two petrol cars or two diesel cars. Um, whereas if you have a second car being an electric, then you're safe for your family holiday. Right? When you're doing hundreds of miles across the country, you can still use it. That's your concern. And then you use your electric for your, for your, for your run around. So you're again, removing the, the, the risk of the transaction. Or looking at, again, if we look at trust, then we go back to the classics of the messenger effect. Who, 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 do, we who do we believe in? Who's an authority in credible cars? And that's why I think Tesla's been so successful is that it's a, it's a sexy sports car, right? That, that people who like sexy sport cars also like Teslas. It's not like a Prius that's sort of a, 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 a dodgy cheapskate. Like it feels like that. I shouldn't, sorry to our sponsors at Prius. Um, <laughs> but, but, so the, the messengers or endorsers are endorsers are really important as a, as a, and, and social proof that we can start to see actually how many people are already transferring. You can start to see the numbers of people that aren't failing. You can visibly see just like market trees uh, for our indigenous um, uh, tribes that show the sort of sacred grounds or, or safe passage, you start to really make the charging station salient so people can see actually all cars charging or fully charged on the street, right? Imagine if, um, if, if every car with a full battery had a slightly different light on. So, you know, actually no one else has been caught short. Why would I? Um, I think in the UK, uh, as, a, as a means of, of, of illustrating um, green vehicles. I think the Behavioural Insights team trialled having green number plates, which is an example of social proof. You can more evidently see all these green cars. So, so I think to get to the higher order problem like fossil fuels, we need to think, well, what's the, what's the behaviour that we want to encourage? More people to buy electric vehicles. Why aren't more people buying electric vehicles? Well, there's this plethora of reasons why. Um, and that then helps us to bring the right inventive principles. So let's bring the messenger effect. Let's bring social proof. Let's try to remove the, the, the sense of risk or, or loss, or let's recognize the sense of risk or loss that's in our way. And how can we remove that? Well, don't ask them to go out 
completely on a ledge and throw away every petrol vehicle right now, let them have a second car as one so they can be an advocate and then they're comfortable to move in the future. That sort of, again, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm solving it, but I'm sharing the thought processes and how we might together. You, do you know what? You've picked up some incredible points there, actually, Sam. Firstly, firstly, you know, the fact that we do need to segment the different ways in our in our life that we can contribute and um, towards re- reducing climate change through different things, whether it be through travel. Um, and you picked up on a big one about water. And I love that in the book that, you, that it, I think was it Brazil that they were encouraging people to have a, a wee in the shower. Mm. Now, that is, again, goes on a very, very simple solution to a much bigger, wider problem. And it's mm. little things like that that we should be doing here in the UK. And I know that it'll be saving gallons and tons of water every year but you are going to have a few unhappy wives at the same time <laughs> um, but you know that you've got to do what you've got to do to save the planet and, and again and this is why I, th- I think it's it's got to be sandwiched um with um with with i don't want to say serious because it assumes that that's not a serious solution just because you're weeing in the shower doesn't mean it's a le- it's not a legitimate solution it certainly is but we need to we need to bring everything to this this is a lens by which we can start to to, to view some of um how we frame a policy change or that's 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 how it comes together um but but i think you're but i think you're right i think it's breaking it down into what are the what are the actions that we need to encourage people to do to achieve this outcome it could be food waste we spend a lot of time as business working on food waste um and and uh, and there's there's so many different ways in which you can start to change how people shop how people how people um store their food how how you normalize um leftovers for example i've got an idea that i've been trying to get up for about seven years now i think just to create a style of wine that goes for with leftovers you know just so you make it feel like it's a normal thing to do right have a sort of a leftover lambrusco so it makes something that sort of just makes it feel like you're not just scraping the bottom of the barrel when you have leftovers. It's something that's normal and should be celebrated. There are ways in which we can start to, to address all the sub behaviors that will lead to the ultimate action. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a broader pie at play here. Uh, well, I love that already. And, and again, you've just brought to a, a simple solution to a huge big problem, you know, creating a wine that you would have, to have along, alongside leftovers. And the thing, with, the thing with leftovers and food waste, the common solution here in the UK is to buy a composter. You buy a composter mm. and at least then you're using your leftover food that you can then break down and you can put it in the garden and use it as compost. Yeah. And the other options are to, you know, the way that you buy it, the way that you cook food, prepare food, etc. But that what we can see now is that, that that we've been doing this for for a long long time and it's not really creating a huge you know um no solution but there is other things that we could be doing that, that i just going back to the weeing in the shower i want to kind of go back to that again because it's such a simple thing to do and if you could brush your teeth in the shower as well so if you had a wee yeah. and brush your teeth in the shower how much water that be saving and i want and and I, and I think this is where the creativity and the innovation are going to come from now is looking at the way that we look at food waste, the way that we do, um, prevent food waste is probably right in front of our eyes. You know, it's probably something, yeah. we, and we could look at nature. We could look at the animals don't, you know, um, create a lot of waste and look at animals to see how they live in their habitats and, and how they store their food and, and the things that they do. And, and I, and that's, that's where I think the deep work is now is, trying to be super creative, super inventive, look at models like Triz, look at models like that and try to come up with some really cool ideas that really uh, move the needle on these big problems. Yeah, it's that, it's that classic, how do you sell more toothpaste? You make the hole bigger. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be um, all the bells and whistles. There, there can be some simple fixes, some, some hacks um, that, that get us across the line. And I think another... Uh, um, something for us to be mindful is what feels like it's a good solution but it's actually harmful and i don't know the 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 evidence for this but you mentioned composters and i know from 
from some experience with our family with a compost is that there's you get a sense of moral licensing once you've got a compost it's like well it doesn't really matter what we do we've got a compost bin <laughs> like whatever it's so so you almost get a you give yourself permission and you forget the food miles the packaging all these other things that you say, oh, we've got a compost so you give yourself a false sense of, of carbon security with with some solutions again i'm not i don't know the evidence for that but i'm just cautioning us to also sit sometimes the ideas and this is very much in rory's um the ideas that sort of make most sense to us uh, actually can do harm but it's the ideas that sort of don't make sense that we should be that we should be exploring as, as yeah. Rory would say sort of it's the, the, the if you probably can't be sold rationally <laughs> right we've, we've sort of run out of all the logical rational solutions now we need to we need to look elsewhere um and and this provides us with a, the space for for, for thinking about it in a different way. And again, if you can borrow from a pillow um, to, to solve a hand hygiene solution, then what industry or category should we look to when we're looking at, at, at food waste? And, and I wrote in the book, I mean, Henry Ford's innovation of the car assembly line was just a, a, a butcher's disassembly line in reverse. Right? And, and you notice a, a butcher's disassembly line, you have a cow on a hook and you put across different benches. He said, well, let's reverse that and whack a car on it. And that changed the, the, the manufacturing of, of automobiles. So it, it can be very simple. Chances are it exists. We, need, we just need to sort of give ourselves all the ingredients and the connective tissue to bring them together. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, I could talk to you about this for hours, and I, and I, and just to pick pick on that point there about circularity, and look and thinking uh, thinking in circles. Where did this come from? Where did it start its journey? How has it arrived here? And then not just looking about when it arrives on my plate or in my house or in my, on my back, but actually start to go much further and think about it as a loop, and yeah. think about and and the same with electric cars. You know, do we going looking at can one of our cars be electric or do we need two cars can we survive with one car yes. and eventually thinking do we need to use our car every day and start to think of things in a much wider perspective and especially the, the things that arrive on our plates to start thinking about is there is there another way here but i i really like that's a really good mindset to have and there are lots of um there's a lot of here it is a lot of assumed knowledge this is the way we've always done it or thinking that that actually this this mindset this lens can be pulled across everything that we do an example uh, from some of the work again we've, we've done in the uk and this isn't our idea this was with a, a, a partner agency we're working with at the time but i love it a really subtle shift from um the brand name of recycling for london like that's what it was always been called recycling for london they just changed it. you'll see it now when you walk outside london recycles um and for me that's bloody great so simple um but what you're doing is you're creating the social norm the, the social proof that, that that's what we do and again i i don't expect that to to, to be a necessarily a blockbuster winner but everything that we're doing should be thinking about this. Don't, don't waste your, your type with London recy recycling for London when we know that there's some that can actually create the norm of the behavior in the, in the headline. Um, there's, everything can communicate. Um, so we shouldn't sort of accidentally fall into a solution. When we're designing a, 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 a button for the next Tesla, can we be thinking, well, okay, this does that job, but can it tell others that it's doing that job too? I started to think about, well, if this is telling your battery's full, is that important for the driver or could that also be important for someone on the street to know that that car's full so that they have more confidence that there aren't just Teslas driving around on 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 eight percent like my mobile phone um and challenge ourselves to think like that and and, and we'll, we'll we'll begin to whittle it down mm, it, the recycling one's fascinating because you've turned a question into a verb and it, the, the yeah. verb an action it's kind of like well everyone else is doing it so i need to do it as well it normalizes it just it normalizes it really subtle i i, I bring that because it's the smallest it's the, it's it's a small big you mean it's something that's it's been just a known and again not our idea and i wish i could remember the agency um that that, that did this because it's, it's i just think it's a wonderful simple solution to shift from recycling for london to london recycles and and bring that mindset across everything that we do um, but the colours of the bins through to the, 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 the noise of the vehicle when it comes to pick up the bins through to um, how we're, how we're communicating the actions. A bit. Every, everything can communicate. You shouldn't be doing it by accident. 
Amazing. And if you do, yeah, if you do find out the campaign, send it to me and I'll put it in the show notes to this. Um, yeah, yeah. Be, yeah, just Google recycling or London recycles. It, it, I think um, I think it actually the, the history of it actually came through the pitching process and it was part of a solution that was pitched. I think we were the, the ultimate successor, but one another agency pitched this and the, the, the business bought that and then did some more work. I think that's the the, the, the history of it. Um, but but certainly I can I'll, I'll do my best to dig it up, but it should hopefully be on the on the, your next pickup truck. Brilliant, brilliant. Great. Thank you. Sam, if, if people want to know more about you, the book and the work that you do, where should where should we send them? So, well, uh, f- for me, um, on LinkedIn's a good platform. So Sam Tatum, T-A-T-A-M. Um, on Twitter, I think it's S underscore Tatum. Uh, the book Evolutionary Ideas, so available um, on Amazon through all good bookstores. It should be f- found online, um, some sort of waterstones across the UK at the, at the moment and, and other stores in, in, in different cities. Uh, but online's, online's wonderful. Um, for, for broader Ogilvy, um, so I'm really fortunate to, to work within a business like Ogilvy that sort of inspires a, a sort of <laughs> incredibly. Um, so so check out check out Ogilvy, check out Nudgestock, which is our annual festival of behavioral science and creativity, if you've not seen it. Um, so those are some places to look and, and, and we've spoken about, about Rory, um, who's obviously a, the, the founder of our, of our specific practice and a huge inspiration for me and, and, and a lot of the work that we do. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Sam. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Cheers, Johnny. So I hope you've enjoyed that conversation. If you'd like to find out more about Sam, I'll put all his connections and his information in the show notes. So do go and check him out. If you want to go and get the book, if you go to his website, there's lots of links there. You can find out more about what he does and you can also then go and look and buy the book. But I really do recommend it. Absolutely great read. But yeah, if, you, uh, if you're interested in my content, please again, do like and share it. It does mean a lot. It's good to get the message out there. I do appreciate all your support. I know I'm very, very slack in making content, but my time is just so used up within my agency and my family. But as always, I'm, I am going to try and make more things, produce more content, get more things out in the world. I'm probably going to be looking at doing more shorter podcasts, probably audio only, not so many videos and just kind of get more thought leadership work out there because I've been working on loads of projects and there's lots of things that I want to kind of get out there and talk about. But as always, be useful, be kind, and I'll see you all soon. Bye-bye.